the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, questions on the Bible, questions about church, questions about stuff going on in your life. All you have to do is provide the phone call. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877 877- 630-KSLR, numerically that's 630-5757. You can email questions, and we got a whole slew of them overnight, but you can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, uh, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature in your phone with the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight here in our Wednesday night Old Testament midweek, prophecy gets really serious. I'm at that place in Daniel. We're in chapter 7. It's the last chapter in Aramaic. It's a message to the world, to people like you and to me. Uh, and the, But the rest of the book is really the backbone of prophecy, and I'm really excited about it. I uh, hope the Lord is um, pleased. I hope he's pleased. So that's tonight here at 7 o'clock. You can watch the Bible study at calvarysa.com if you can't make it. But we always have room on Wednesday nights, and you'd be missing the best part if you uh, stayed home and watched it. The best part of the church, that's the people who are here. Uh, also, tomorrow uh, is Thursday. That means it's the date day edition of the program. And Paula will be live in studio with me, and I am looking forward to that. Well, okay, let's take our first phone call. We've got Jarrett on line one from San Antonio. Jarrett, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, thank you for taking my call, Pastor Ron. I love your show. Um, I had a friend of mine oh, recently send me a, uh, a sermon, and I wanted to get your take on it from a biblical standpoint. And I've, I've studied a little bit on it, uh, but really it's, uh, passage uh, Genesis 6 and the fallen angels and the Nephilim mm-hmm. and I've listened to this sermon and it was the pastor did a pretty good job of connecting some dots but I'm just not fully versed in it uh, I know it's probably a pretty big can of worms and a lot of different interpretations <laughs> of it but I would love to uh, hear your thought on you know were the giants truly uh, a hybrid race uh, of humans with, you know, the, the fallen angels or the little G gods that came down. I just, I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah. Jared, can I ask you, do you know who the pastor was? Maybe if I, I know him, I know what he's spoken about. I, mm, uh, I've listened to Heiser, or is it Heiser? Um, I think he's written a book, The Unseen Realm. 
And then there there was another one that I recently got sent to me. I don't recall the name of the pastor. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jarrett. I'll, I'll take this. I get lots of calls, as you pointed out. There's a lot of curiosity about this passage. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go slow enough to, to sort of give you the problems uh, as people perceive them with these passages of Scripture. Um, the, the, the placing of Genesis chapter 6 is really important here. I mean, this is the flood of Noah. This is God's judgment on the whole world. So whatever happened between the sons of God, whoever they are, and I'll talk about that in a moment, and the daughters of men had to be so evil, so insidious, that the only answer to it was judgment of the whole world. He had to wipe out the human race, save, of course, Noah and his family. Now, if you if you start from that premise, you think, wow, something really bad here. Now, there are those who say the sons of God are the sons of Seth or descendants of Seth. And they went into the daughters of men and that 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 to them is just nothing extraordinary at all. That's just uh, multiplying and populating the earth. The, the problem with that is the sons of God, that that phrase is never used in any context other than describing angels. So if this was angels, and I think we have to assume that it was, what does that mean? It means clearly Jude says these are are, are fallen angels who did not keep their first estate, which means in their rebellion against God, they went into the sons of daughters. And the only possible reason, the only explanation, Jarrett, could be that they were trying to pollute the human race to the point that the Christ or the Messiah could never come. Now, if this was just the sons of Seth or if this was just some other instance, then certainly it would have seemed like God was sort of having a hissy fit when he decided he was going to going to judge the world with a flood. And, 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 and it required that every person uh, who, who lived, save Noah and his family, would be destroyed. And we know God doesn't have hissy fits. So I think, I think the evidence is overwhelming that these were fallen angels and they procreated. And uh, and the result was this this race of Nephilim, uh, Nephilim these men of renown, uh, they're described. And uh, again, I believe it was Satan's effort to pollute the human race to such a degree that um, uh, Jesus could not have come uh, through through Mary. There, there couldn't have been any human at all. Now, here's the problem with that. And, and people who say, oh, that's just superstition, uh, that's paganism. Um, you know, they say, well, well, angels don't procreate in heaven. We're not going to be married. Uh, angels don't procreate. Uh, they are sexless. Uh, and and I understand that's the case. Uh, but, but, but clearly in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, when Jesus went to see if the um, rebellion in Sodom and Gomorrah was as bad as, as, as they had heard, and of course they knew what it was, um, remember that those men in the city truly believed that they could have sex with the angels. In other words, those destroying angels appeared to them as men. And they really believed they could have sex with them. So I think what we've got to understand is that there was a, a category of angels, uh, angels that, that, that were faithful, loyal to God, and angels that rebelled against God. There was a, a category of angels that are so powerful and so supernaturally endowed that that they could do things that other angels couldn't. And I think the only explanation for God destroying the whole world in this flood is that they were procreating and producing this this race. Again, I know how foreign that sounds, but there's no other explanation for God's reaction, there's no other explanation for the use of the term sons of God. And when Jude connects these all together and say they didn't keep their first estate, in other words, they went after strange flesh. And in the process, uh, they incurred the wrath of God. So, Jarrett, that's what I believe to be the case. Um, um, Dr. Michael uh, Heiser, who you said he's a an American biblical Old Testament scholar and Christian author and speaker, I would be interested, and I think I'll look it up, Jared, I'd be interested in seeing what his position 
on it was. But uh, I've done a lot of research on this, not just because I get a lot of questions, but even as a young Christian, I was so curious about this. What was this that precipitated a flood that wiped out the whole world? And uh, um, uh, clearly there's there was something that was virtually cataclysmic, and God stopped it, just like he stops everything. We know that every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time, and I believe that Satan began to pollute the human line to such a degree that, that there was no other answer for the lack of righteousness in the world at that time. So, Jared, thanks very much, and I appreciate it. And I'm going to look up uh, your reference and see what his position is. I think you'll find really conservative scholars who say, well, you know, I just don't think that angels could have sex with, with humans. Um, but it's it's hard to explain any other way. So thank you, Jared. appreciate it very, very much. Here's a question from Mo. Uh, this is a follow-up from yesterday's last question. Why does God answer some prayers but not others? Thank you, Mo. Uh, I, I had to cut that off short, Mo, yesterday, and I'd forgotten, so my producer reminded me. Um, Mo, some prayers um, are in the will of God, others are not. There are some prayers that God uh, can't answer because they wouldn't be prayers uh, that were consistent with his will for our life and, and could cause us to be harmed. Um, there are times that God cannot answer prayers because our motives for asking are wrong. Um, and I think, I think that's the, the primary reason. Also, there's situations where uh, people pray, they're in unrepentant sin, and their fellowship with God is broken, and he can't receive their prayers. So there's all kinds of reasons why God doesn't answer some prayers. I think more fascinating to me... Mo, is why God answers prayers at all. That's fascinating to me. I know he does, and I pray because I know he does. But, um, you know, God's answered all of our prayers in the person of Jesus Christ. And in this particular case, I just think we've got to learn to pray according to his will rather than our will. So I think, Mo, the, the best answer I can give you is that when we pray in the will of God, He's free to answer our prayers. Jesus said if he hears our prayer, we know that we have what we've asked for. And and the prayers he hears, of course, are those prayers in his will. And I'm going to find, and I think you are too, Mo, that when we get to heaven, there's going to be a whole lot of prayers that we asked for that we're going to be really, really grateful that he didn't answer the way we wanted him to. God knows stuff. Paul always says it. God knows stuff. And he knows when to say no. I think our expectations that just because we're Christians that our prayers are going to be answered. James says you have not because you ask not or because you ask amiss or, in other words, with the wrong motive. So, Mo, I hope that's a little bit more complete than yesterday. Let's take Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. How y'all doing, Pilgrim? Oh, hi. Now you're doing... I like that pastor that, that you had at the retreat. He was really good. Thank you. And he did a good impersonation and all that. So, so, so you're going to start think, doing impressions now, Jimmy? No, I've been doing them all along. I've been doing. Them oh, all you know, okay. <laughs> but uh, I, um, I was going to tell you. Oh, he made a lot of sense on Sunday morning or Sunday about um, about uh, how. They asked the uh, the centurions to lie about Jesus' uh, tomb being uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know how they, they were paid off, correct? They were paid off by yep. the Sadducees, and 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 it made a lot of sense because it still happens in today's world. Yep. And um, I don't know. I really enjoyed that service. I. I and then he he brought out that how how all the disciples and Apostle Paul were all persecuted and killed because they believed in Jesus, and that's going to happen to us, and it's already happening today. Yeah. But I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to I'm willing to make that sacrifice for Jesus. Yeah. 
Jimmy, Jimmy, hopefully Jesus will be back so we don't have to make that sacrifice. But, but I think when we're called to a life of discipleship, to pick up our cross, when Jesus said that, you know, that's an instrument of execution. So not only do we have to be willing to die physically, of course, what we need to be more focused on is being willing to die to our flesh every single day so that we can follow Jesus. For the audience, Jimmy's talking about our, our uh, speaker for the men's retreat. He, he uh, taught here on Sunday at Calvary Chapel. And he's a funny guy, good guy. But he was his message was about um, what happened to the body. And it was, it was a message directed toward unbelievers and skeptics. Oh, you Christians believe that somebody died and was risen from the dead. And uh, the, the end result is that, that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, what happened to the body? And the, 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 the ridiculous example or the, 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 the excuse that the Roman guards, well, we fell asleep. You know, it just none of those excuses hold water. And, of course, the whole point was Jesus truly did rise from the dead, which means that he really is who he said he was, and he said he was God. So Gino Geraci was the pastor. You want to look him up, com. Uh, that's uh, G-I-N-O-G-E-R-A-C-I.com. Good guy, and he gave a, a great message. And his message is also on our website at com. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an anonymous question from our in- email inbox. Um, I know the Bible doesn't say it, but how long do you think Adam and Eve lasted before they ate of the forbidden fruit? Somehow I don't think it was very long. I have a tendency to agree with you, anonymous, but you know, there's no point at all in speculating because we don't know. You know, I remember as a very young believer, I'm wondering how long were they in the garden, cool of the garden, where they could walk with God. I mean, in their unfallen state, covered by the glory of God, their nakedness covered by the by the Shekinah of God. I mean, I would have wanted to stay there for a long time. And, you know, what you, you, you think, well, they could have been like a hundred years, but we don't know. Um... Whenever it is that God told them, I've given you everything to eat. It's all yours except this one. I think it was at that moment that the enemy uh, zeroed in on Eve first and deceived her. And she ate. And then, of course, Adam made the free will choice uh, to to exit fellowship with God, uh, to maintain fellowship with his wife Eve. So I don't know how long it is. I don't know how long it was. Um, until they had Cain and Abel. God said, be fruitful and multiply. So I am assuming that um, that, that, that that process began right away. Uh, we also don't know how long the gestation period for, a, for an infant was uh, in an unfallen world. So uh, we, we just don't know. Was, was Cain and Abel, were they conceived um, uh, before uh, the fall? Or were they conceived after the fall? We don't know. And and since uh, we don't have any answers, there really isn't any way of knowing and really no value at all in speculating. Thank you, Anonymous. Appreciate the question very, very much. Here's a question again from our email inbox that we got today from James. He says, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 21, It says, and I'm going to read it, he says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses, those who sin rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest may also fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, that's interesting, that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. That's 1 Timothy 5, 17-21. Now, here's the question. In verse 20, it says to rebuke the sinners publicly. Is this 
for only elders or is this for members of the body? I only ask because the word elders is not used after verse 19. Moving forward, also, how should someone be publicly rebuked? Um, That's a great question. I think, first of all, James, um, the context puts verse 20, uh, connects it directly to verse 19. So that is a direct reference to the elders, the leaders of the church. Now, something to remember. In the first century, the word elders refers to what we call pastors. So this isn't an elder board or a board of directors. This this is the the man who's teaching the word of God. And because they have been given a public platform, because too much is given, much more is required, uh, they are more accountable. The Lord's half-brother James even wrote that not many of you should seek to be teachers because you'll stand the stricter judgment. And that isn't a judgment for salvation because as believers, we're already saved, our sins forgiven. But the idea is we are accountable to God and to the people we teach to live what we teach. I can't express enough, with, with enough urgency, how important it is for for Bible teachers and pastors to be real. Uh, I'm famous around here for not letting my Bible teachers get off the hook. I tell my pastors all the time, you, you can't have a bad day. You represent Jesus, you represent me to the people that I love. And just because you've had a bad day, you can't get angry with them because when you do, you're misrepresenting God and we know how serious God is about that. So the idea here is the elders who sin or the pastors who sin, they're the ones who need to be rebuked in the presence of all or publicly. And the the, the statement of purpose that the rest also may fear, that serves as example to keep others from sinning. So that's who is being uh, uh, entreated there. It's the pastors or the elders of the churches. If you have a public platform, uh, God's given you that platform, then you need to be rebuked or corrected. We don't like the word rebuke uh, because it's it sounds so harsh, but but it needs to be done publicly. I have had to do that on two occasions in our 26 years here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, James. And, and and the way it's done is that we take some time before the church assembly and explain why this pastor is no longer here or why this pastor is stepping down. And um, and, and as harsh as it is, and people always, um, every, every time, we've done it twice, both times that's happened, people say, well, pastor, you were, you were not very gracious with him. I mean, shouldn't you give him a second chance? No, he had a, a, a big opportunity to repent and never did. And so now that the sin is uncovered, then his repentance needs to be public as well. And then we're doing that for, for the pastor. If there's any hope of restoration, there has to be a very public repentance. So, James, I hope that answers your question. Uh, I love this passage of Scripture because it's about... Um, people who do what I do. I also like that he says you're to do these things without partiality, not showing any favoritism whatsoever. And uh, the idea is it doesn't matter who it is. Um, you know, I, I'm very close to my pastors. We're, we're a family. Uh, I, I, I love their wives. I love their children. Uh, we're truly a family. We've been through things um it's impossible to describe the unity that we have. However, if the one I love the most falls into sin and has violated his commitment to the Lord, then he has to be called out publicly just like anybody else would. It's very, very important that they understand that because what we want to do is to be able to restore them. That's that's the hope. At some point, we'll be able to restore them. Um, so depending on what the sin is. So James, I hope that answers your question. Now we're getting really close to the end of the break. So there's that one other thing in this passage that I want to deal with because they get questions about pastor's pay. And clearly, um, uh, this is about money at the beginning. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine for the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And the labor is worthy of 
his wages. Later, he'll say, certainly it's not oxen that God is concerned for. No, this is about pastor's pay. And and pastors are supposed to be paid. They're supposed to be able to pay their bills to sustain their families. Now, uh, I don't think pastors should be paid extravagantly. And I think that is a a real problem in the church, uh, in the West, here in the United States in particular. I think we got pastors living way, way, way above the means that God would ask them to live at. Um, when we have pastors living in mansions and pastors living in, in gated communities and pastors uh, driving $100,000 cars and and uh, they're, they're, not, they're, they're living so far above the means of the people in their church, um, that's a problem. And I think that doesn't please the Lord at all. So uh, the pastor should be paid. Um, um, he should double honor. It's, that's that's a, a financial term there. Um, and those of us who teach, uh, God expects for us to keep uh, our standard of living at, at a level that is at least equal to the means, the mean level of the church that we serve. James, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about your question at all. We've got 30 minutes left in the program today. This is the word to stand up for life, 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. We'd love your calls at 340-9585. Here is another anonymous question from our email inbox. Uh, it says in Exodus, Exodus 1238, that a mixed multitude went out of Egypt. Does it say anything else about the Egyptians that left with the Jews? Sounds like that could have been a precarious situation. Now, Anonymous, your question is not funny, but I was laughing because I can't help but think, I mean, uh, and it's wrong, okay? But so much of our theology about the Exodus is formed by the movie The Ten Commandments. And and all I can think about is Edward G. Robinson when when you talk about the mixed multitude, um, uh, it just just it, that was funny. But the mixed multitude was the Egyptians who left. Now remember that God judged Egypt, and He did it with the purpose. The purpose was that the people could see that His that, that Moses God was God. And clearly, in the course of the uh, judgments, there were a lot of converts. And people were afraid, and they were were begging Pharaoh to let Israel go, let the Jews leave, um, otherwise their God is going to destroy us. And the fear of the Lord is a wonderful thing. People that fear God will, will, will turn to God, and that's exactly what happened. So there was a mixed multitude, Egyptians mixed with the uh, Jews who went out. Uh, since Egypt was the center of the world at that time, there was probably uh, non-Egyptians, uh, other people from that part of the world who were living and or working or in slavery uh, in Egypt. And they would have been part of that mixed multitude as well. Uh, but but we really don't know anything else about the Egyptians that left with the Jews except that that. In, in one place, they're, they're described as the rabble, uh, and they would be the ones, many of them, who uh, would start the grumbling and complaining. Uh, Jews, it seems, were easy to incite, and so they would say, we're well, going to die out here, and, and, and they were always questioning Moses' leadership. And I think the mixed multitude was a plant, in large part, by the devil, trying to destroy this whole uh, exodus from ever happening. So uh, that's all we know about the mixed multitude is nothing more than a mention, uh, but we know that they caused some problems. Uh, we know that because of the use of the word rabble. Uh, I think that's in the book of Numbers. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. Here is a question from 
Kenneth, Pastor Ron, when God calls you to do something like a vision he's given you, how much of doing it depends on you? I don't want to miss out, so I guess I mean what is required of me to fulfill the calling. Now, Kenneth, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, so so I'm going to be as careful as I can to be clear. Uh, nothing depends on, on you or me. When God calls us, the only response, the only appropriate response is to obey. God gives the vision. God gives you the power for the vision. God will direct your steps to keep you in the vision. God will correct you if you go off course a little bit, if your heart is right with God. So he does all the work. The New Testament says he is the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So God does all the work. Now, here's our part, Kenneth, and it's our only part. It's partnering with God in what he's doing. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, God gave me some vision for this church before Paul and I ever got to San Antonio. Once we got here, he gave us more vision about this church, what, what he wanted Calvary Chapel of San Antonio to look like. My only response as his servant, my only response is say, okay, Lord, it's your church. I'm your servant. What do you want to do with it? And then I become a facilitator of that vision. And the only thing that we have to do, Kenneth, is be obedient. Now, the problem with that is that God, when he gives a vision, there's just so many times when it seems what he's asking you to do is impossible. You you look at and think, well, there's no way I can do it. I can go all the way back to when I was called to be a pastor. I'm only six months old in the Lord. I didn't I didn't grow up in church, so I didn't really know anything about being a pastor except what I watched on TV or what I saw a pastor do in church. And um, I just thought, Lord, that's impossible. I've messed up so badly. I've done such terrible things. There's no way I could be a pastor. I'd be the biggest hypocrite in the world. And yet, I had to partner with God in his vision for my life. I didn't have to immediately run to Bible college. I didn't have to immediately start being a a good person. Uh, I just had to be with Jesus. And I followed him, and of course, God is faithful. He made me a pastor. I started this church from scratch. Um, Paul and I, we didn't know anybody in Texas and never had been to Texas, um, I started this church in San Antonio from scratch uh, four years after I was saved. That's not much time. On the other hand, God gave me a vision for Malta Medical. Malta Medical is our free doctor's office. It's a family practice doctor's office. It's fully staffed, wonderful physicians, wonderful nursing staff. Um, um, everybody who goes loves it. Um, it's busy, like like all doctors' offices these days. But but I didn't know how to start a, a medical office. Uh, I didn't know anything about it. I I didn't go to school to be a doctor. I didn't have any people. And God brought people along, and they partnered in the vision as I would share the vision. And God brought the people that we needed. And when the people that we needed were in place, then it was time to begin the process. We broke ground on a on a on a building here in the shopping center where our church is, uh, and uh, I think we we're under construction maybe nine months, and then we we opened the doors for 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 patients. Um, now, the reason I bring that up is because Kenneth, that was twelve years from the time God gave me the vision for Malta Medical until the day we opened the door. Twelve years. The free school we started earlier, I didn't know how to do that either, but God did. All he needed for me to do was partner with him. So I think if I'm reading your question right, um, you want to know, okay, what do I do? It, it means you've got to fall in love with Jesus. It means you've got to devour his word. You've got to listen for his voice, that meaning you have to be a man of prayer. 
Um, and, and then you say, okay, Lord, I'm your servant. I will do what you tell me to do, regardless of whether it makes any sense at all. And Kenneth, when you get to that place, it's impossible to miss out on anything. I think too often we think that that passage of Scripture says, um, he who began a good work and said, if he will be faithful to complete it, Lord, you began it, but I'll be faithful to complete it. Um, Kenneth, it's all Jesus. And all we have to do is say yes to partner with him and then be with him so that we're usable to do what he wants us to do. So, Kenneth, I really hope that makes sense. It's such an important question. Uh, but believe me, everything God asks of you depends on him. You can do nothing apart from him. It is his strength, his power, his vision alone, which he will be faithful to complete. Thank you for that. Jerry says, how long should I wait before giving up on something God promised me? Jerry, you don't ever give up on something God promised you. Now, there's a lot of times when we believe that God has promised us something that he couldn't have promised because it's contrary to his word. I'll give you an example. I had somebody tell me on their deathbed that that I thought God told me he was going to heal me. Well, he's healing you now. He didn't tell you what you wanted to hear. But he just told you, I got you. Um, Paula prayed for me for 13 years. Are you willing to wait that long? Imagine if Paula would have stopped praying for me after five years or 10 years or, or 12 and a half years. So you never give up on a real promise of God, not ever. I, I talked in the earlier question about multi-medical and our free school, just visions that God has given us. Well, there are other visions that God has given us for Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And, of course, um, there are unfulfilled visions yet. I'm still waiting. I've been here for 26 years, and I'm still waiting. But I have zero doubt at all, Jerry. And when I say zero doubt, I mean no doubt at all that these are some of the things that God is going to accomplish. Why? Not because I said so, but because he said so. So I hope that uh, answers your question, Jerry. Don't ever, ever, ever give up. Dan says, are there any of the five points of Calvinism that you agree with? Um, I can agree with all of them, um, four of them anyway, um, in, in, in a measured degree. Uh, balance is a wonderful thing, Dan. Um, uh, total depravity, uh, the, the way a Calvinist understands is that we are so broken, we are so lost, that we can't even ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. God has to do that for us. Of course that's horrible, horrible theology. Um, um, I believe that we are condemned by sin when we are born into this world doesn't matter how cute you are as a baby. You're, you're on your way to hell, apart from Jesus Christ. So I don't believe in the T, the total depravity. Um, I, I don't believe in the unlimited election and what, what uh, basically they, think they mean by unlimited election is that uh, God chooses some for heaven and some for hell, and we can't question God um, um, because he's God and we're not. So I certainly don't agree with that. The L, I think, is the the the, the worst one. Uh, it means limited atonement. It means God did not die for the sins of the world, but he died only for the sins of the elect or those that he's chosen. And um, that's simply uh, inconsistent, not only with what the Word says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say God so loved the elect. And that's just, just eisegesis, it's, it's really bad um, theology and a, and a lack of, of being able to reason through the scriptures to, uh, to believe that, that uh, uh, Jesus only died for, for the elect. Um, irresistible grace is, I think, just as um, silly in the sense that, that uh, nobody can resist God's grace. If you, grace, if you want you saved, you're going to be saved. When when Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that, that God is unwilling that any should perish, but that all would be saved. We know 
that God's grace is resisted all the time. Paul says even to believers, uh, do not quench the Spirit of God. Every human can resist the will of God at any time. We do that because we've been given free will. And the only one that I kind of agree with is the perseverance of the saints because those who are called by God, those who are truly born again, are going to make it to the finish line. Why? Because even when we are faithless, God is faithful. So, Dan, um, I, I don't agree with the first four at all. Um, I, I uh, only a little bit agree with the last one. So I just don't think there's anything healthy at all about five-point Calvinism, Reformed theology, call it whatever you will. You know, Dan, there's, there's something about Calvinism that makes people proud. Instead of humbling themselves, it makes them proud. You know, they become evangelists for Calvinism rather than becoming evangelists for Jesus. And I have seen um, um, pretty radical, on-fire Christians um, who started out so well, who discovered what they call the doctrines of grace, um, and it just ruins them. It just ruins them completely. So I, I'm pretty much opposed to all of the points of Calvinism. Thanks for the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Jerry wants to know, uh, why don't we see more demon possession like in the Bible? You know, Jerry, I think if you were in another part of the world, you'd see plenty of demon possession. Uh, I mean, plenty. If, if uh, when, when we went to Mexico, uh, we've seen demon possession. Uh, um, if you travel in third world countries where there's not much light, certainly if you travel in Islamic countries, uh, you see demon possession all the time. It's probably as uh, prevalent now in 2021 in some parts of the world in Africa. Uh, it's as prevalent in, in Haiti where they're 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 uh, in, into voodoo and and worshiping spirits. Um, I, I think you see it all the time. I just think in the West, Jerry, where we live, we don't see more demon possession because there's just so much light here. That doesn't mean the demons aren't busy. And and I'll also say this, Jerry, I believe that um, there is more demon possession than we are aware of because I think we've renamed demon possession. Uh, we call it um, uh, psychosis. Um, um, we, we just see people and give it a, a mental health name. Um, I've been in mental institutions and in nursing homes, by the way, and seen seen a lot of people who I am convinced were demon possessed. That no, 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 um, they're paranoid or they're they're um, schizophrenic. Um, they have all kinds of explanations. But I believe, Jerry, that there's a lot more. Um, that uh, that we don't know about. It's just not that prevalent in this part of the world. Let's go to line one and talk with Joe from San Antonio. Joe, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, I just want to ask, uh, is, is uh, Jesus God or is God one? Or how does that, how is that? I'm a little uh, confused. That's all I got. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, please stay on and listen. Um, um, I'm going to give you an invitation when when we're done with this. Uh, Jesus is God. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. There's one God, but he is manifest to us in three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Now, to a brand new believer or an unbeliever, that doesn't make any sense. It sounds like we've got three gods. But it's one God manifest in three persons. The Father who is so holy, no one can approach him. No one has seen God and lived. Um, uh, Jesus became a man. See, there's the, 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 the miracle of Jesus' incarnation. He became one of us so that he could show us who God was. And we know, Joe, he lived a perfect, sinless life. We know that he died. We know that he didn't stay dead. He proved that he was God. 
Jesus said he was God over and over and over and over in the Bible. If you go to, especially to the Gospel of John, but not exclusively, uh, all of the I am statements are Jesus saying, I'm God. It's just a Jewish way of saying it. It's not like we would say it in, a, in the United States, but it's a very Jewish way. And, and, and every time that he made one of those statements, they picked up stones uh, accusing him of blaspheming because he claimed to be equal with God. So Jesus is God. But so too is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was sent when Jesus went to heaven. Uh, The Holy Spirit was sent, Christ in us, the hope of glory, so that we could be empowered to do the work that we're left here to do. So yes, Jesus is God, and he said, Joe, that he was the only way to the Father. No one can come to the Father except through me. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the only access we have. Now, here's the thing that I want you to understand. Because he was God, and only God could forgive sins, Jesus had to die. After living a sinless life, he took your place and mine, Joe, on the cross. And when he died, then we who believe live. And so that's why Jesus is the way to the Father. He is not the Father, but he's God. The Father's not the Son, but he's God. The Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son, but he's God. And right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and saying, well, since Jesus is God, I better give my life to him. So, Joe, if you're not yet a born-again Christian, Ask Jesus into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. You've got to recognize that you are a sinner. You've got to recognize that sin is bad. Sin separates you from God. You need to be rescued. And Jesus is your rescuer. And he opens his arms. He asks you to draw near to him. And when you do, he draws near to you. And you surrender your life and your will to him for his glory. And that's what it means to be born again. And Joe, right now, you can say, Jesus, that's me. I'm a sinner. And since only God can forgive sins, I'm so glad you're God. Come into my heart, and I will follow you. So, Joe, hope that answers your question. Kevin says, Pastor on critics say that both Isaiah and Daniel were written by multiple authors. How can I refute that? Now, Kevin, you your question indicates you know that they weren't written by multiple authors. But the critics, the higher critics, they're really not higher critics at all. They're really lower critics. They're critical, but they don't know what they're speaking about. Uh, they say that Isaiah and Daniel both could not have told the future with the kind of specificity that they did. And so uh, both of those books, in in Isaiah, there's uh, purportedly three different Isaiah authors uh, living in different times. We remember that Isaiah's ministry was in excess of 52 years. Uh, And Daniel, because in the the second half of the book, beginning in what I'm studying tonight in chapter 7, Um, they just believe that there's no way he could have known about these things. And what they're doing is discounting the supernatural work of of God. These men were prophets chosen by God, empowered by God. And that means they're like newspaper reporters, Kevin. Um, All they do is report what God told them to say. And since God lives outside of time and space, he knows the end from the beginning Uh, The future is like the past to God. It's all like the present to God. And um, I I think um, the way I would refute the critics who say that is by telling them they need Jesus, they need to be born again. Those higher critics are not Christians. They could be theology professors. They could have a dozen earned PhDs. It could be really, really smart. But remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And they've lost all fear of God. So, very important, Kevin. Uh, Isaiah and Daniel um, were written by Isaiah and Daniel. And if you really want a proof text, just look in the Gospels. Because Jesus quotes from 
both books of prophecy from Isaiah and Daniel in different places and attributes them to Isaiah and Daniel. Isaiah happened to be Jesus' favorite prophet. used it more than any others. And he quotes from all the different sections of Isaiah's prophecy and attributes it to Isaiah. And of course, according to the prophet Daniel, he says, and uh, that's pretty good affirmation to me. So if Jesus says that Daniel wrote Daniel and Isaiah wrote Isaiah, then I'm pretty good with that, Kevin. I'm pretty good with that. Here is the last question we'll make for today. Bill from, it didn't say we're from, Bill. My church is only focused on new converts. I know that's a good thing, but isn't church for believers too? Yeah, you know, Bill, evangelism and the gift of evangelists to the church, uh, that's how we're supposed to go out and get new believers. We all are, 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 are gifted by God to go evangelize. Even if you don't have the gift of evangelism, uh, we're, we're to evangelize, and, and we bring people to Christ. We tell people about Jesus. We bring him to church. But really, the, the purpose of church and what your, your church sounds like is a seeker church. Um, but, but, but see, that misses the point. The purpose of church, Ephesians chapter 4 says, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's why we teach the Bible here at Calvary Chapel. That's why God tells us in the first century church that, uh, that they were devoted to, literally clinging to the apostles' doctrine. It is the word of God that convinces us and changes us and teaches us a new way of thinking. So when a church gets focused on only filling seats, only bringing new people into the fold, they're really not making disciples. And remember, Jesus said that we're to go into all the world and make disciples, not converts. So church is for believers, but in a healthy, vibrant church, there should always be people getting saved in the process as well. Bill, thank you for the question. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Hey, on the radio program tomorrow, Paula will be here, so be ready. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.